0: Him for that. If you'd like to look with us, we're in Romans 5. Um, We talked, uh, it was a short class last time, I guess, 25 minutes or so. And what we looked at last time, I felt like Clark done a better job in five minutes Friday night than we did in 25. But right along these same lines, where Clark was, the sin of man, the guilt of man, that all ties back in to Adam in the garden. And, you know, I I realize we've all sinned. We're guilty by our own sin. But where did that start? Why, Why do we all sin? I think that's a fair question. Why can nobody do good? Why can nobody maintain perfection? Why is it that from a young age our desire is to rebel? It's because man fell in the garden. Adam, the representative of man, chosen by God. You know, fair or not fair? There's no argument there. If you would have been the representative of man, the same result would have happened. You would have failed as well. So, here is Adam, and we got down, and if you'll look at where we're at here, chapter 5, verse 13, a parenthesis starts. And it ends, that parenthesis ends in verse 17, at the end of verse 17. So what he's doing is, if we read verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So then he's going to go into this explanation of what he just said. That sin is rooted at the fall in the garden. That man is guilty from the fall in the garden. That man has needed a redeemer, not since I reached a certain age or since this sin came into our lives, but from the very beginning, man has been fallen, corrupt, under the influence and the leadership of Satan in rebellion to God and His Word and in sin. There's where man has been And man on his own today, he's still there. And man's got no hope of ever coming out of that. You know, you say, well, why did did God wait so many years before He sent Jesus from the fall in the garden? Well, I, I believe this. There had to be a realization that we weren't going to come out of this. There were good men, and they all sinned. There wasn't one that was able... To obtain redemption by their life and by the law. That was well proven. So if we come down, we got down to about verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, rule over or to be a king. You think death has been a king and ruled over mankind from Adam? It certainly has. Everybody's died. Nobody's defeated that. Man's unable to come out from under that. And maybe, you know, we think of death as, well, that's just a natural thing. Why is it just a natural thing that all die? It's because of sin. It all ties together in the Word of God. And death ruled over man by one man's transgression and by one man's sin. Cain and Abel, when they were born, they didn't have the opportunity, the privilege, of defeating death on their own. They didn't. It was lost in the garden. Adam and Adam's race had fallen. Hopelessly, helplessly fallen under the influence and the power of Satan and sin and death reigned over them. And so, by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So this this reigning now, as we look at the one man's sin, one man's transgression, the one transgression of Adam produced all of this death look at what one transgression produced man and satan himself that would tell you well sin's not really that bad we've got one sin to blame for the fall of the entire human race and he just ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that's all he did that would that's not that bad you're not going to surely die It's not that bad. It's going to make you wise. It's going to improve your life. You're going to enjoy it so much and things afterward are going to be so much better for you. It's the same lie today. The devil's telling the same lie and people are still believing and eating his lies today. But the one sin and the one transgression led to how many transgressions? How many now, now if you're going to count, you look and you root everything back to the fall in the garden, death reigning from the fall in the garden and from one sin. Now from that day to today, how many transgressions, how many sins, how many times has the law of God been broken from Adam to us today? There, there's no way of counting it. The God's truth—you could say trillions, and trillions—isn't an, that, that—that's an amazing number. It's—it's it's out of my understanding, really. A million—and this may not be exact. I'm not even going to say because I'm not sure. I think a million seconds is ten days. A billion is ten years or something. There, it's—it putting it in perspective of just how great it is. But one sin led to all this. Now how many sins are there, even individually in your life, how many transgressions has there been since you were born? A multitude. But, much more, much greater than what the one sin of Adam produced, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So just exactly like Adam fell, Adam sinned, and caused us all to fall under the curse, all to be uh, guilty, all to be under uh, the law, and all of us to be subject unto death, the Lord Jesus' sacrifice, and His one offering, and His one, the gift of God, that which God, Gave unto man. And he says this, they which receive abundance of grace. How much grace was it? There was enough grace to accomplish the work and accomplish what needed to be done. There's never been a shortage. If there's a shortage, you don't have enough. God's always had an abundance of grace through by one, Jesus Christ. So now verse eighteen. We're going to bring all this together. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men, unto justification of life. So the the transgression and sin of Adam produced all of this guilt the one sacrifice of Jesus undone all of that the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient to restore man reconcile man into a right state with God the first man Adam fell and failed his whole race The second man, Adam, the Lord Jesus, he met the standard and the righteousness of God. He accomplished God's will. He died a sacrifice to pay for our sins. And all of those that are born, how was you brought into Adam's race? You were born. You had a mother and a father and you were born a human being in the race of Adam. How are these in the second man, Adam? They're born also, but not born of the flesh, not born to a Jewish mother and father, not born to somebody that was in Jesus' family, but born from above, as he says in John chapter 3. Born again, not by blood, not by the flesh, but by the Spirit and the water of the Word of God so that all of those that are born under the second man, Adam, they are receiving the abundance of grace and righteousness under the justification of life through Jesus. Now that's the only source of this. Adam's race is fallen. You're a son, a daughter of Adam and Eve. You're in Adam's race. You've fallen. You're hopeless. You're guilty and death reigns over you. And except you be born again under the second man Adam then condemnation, judgment and the wrath of God is all that there is for you to face. It's not if you do this <clears throat> if you sin this many times. No, we're already guilty. This is a This is not a, a, it's not a if, but this is a foregone conclusion that if you're not born again, if you're not born under the second man, Adam, then you're guilty, condemned, and you're going to die, not just naturally, but spiritually, the inward man dying the eternal death in furnace of fire, a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Right. So that the second man, Adam, came, that the free gift came upon all men under justification of life, that we could be brought out of the fallen state of man, redeemed and brought into the family of God, that no longer were under the influence of the devil, but were set free by the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. For as by one man's disobedience... Many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So don't think it's strange that one man Jesus can save and can deliver by one sacrifice a great multitude of people because one man's sin one man's sin condemned everybody that would ever be born throughout all the history of time and into the future as well, as long as the Lord allows time to go, children will be born, they'll be born rebellious, they'll be born sinful, they'll be born with a wicked nature, and it roots back to one man's sin, and one man's transgression. So that the Lord Jesus now, how much greater than Adam, was the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus' one sacrifice, was sufficient to bring redemption, For all of those that receive abundance of grace. Moreover, the law entered, verse 20, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So the law entered, the law did not, and we've said this many times, the law did not make me more sinful. The law did not cause man, maybe we ought to say it different, did not cause man to be more evil or more rebellious than he already was. He was already fallen before the law came. And as he said earlier in this chapter, death was reigning before the law came. So man was already sinful. He was already under the influence of Satan. And he was already rebellious against God. But the law entered that the offense might abound. That the understanding... And the knowledge of that might abound in our minds. Because you know the truth is, it's not just my nature to sin that's fallen, but my reasoning is fallen as well. And as he says in Proverbs, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. So that fallen man is sinful and the servant to sin. And yet in his mind, he can't even understand that. Why, as man thinks, man thinks he's pretty good. Now the whole book is contrary to that. And yet man still thinks that he's pretty good. That he's as good as most. That he's better than a pile. And that he's good enough to meet God. Well, God wants man to know that he's not in the condition that he's in, he's not ready to meet God. And so the law entered to bring that revelation to man that I would no longer think that if I died right now, I'd be all right to stand before God. The law entered that it might show me just how great a sinner that I really am, just how guilty that I am before God. You see how taking the Ten Commandments and trying to justify myself because I'm better than others, that is so far from the intention of the law. I'm a lawbreaker. The law entered for one purpose, not for me to do better and be more pleasing to God. The law entered that my offense, my transgression might abound it revealed what a sinner and how guilty that I was. So in Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 33, verse number 9, So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err, and to do worse than the heathen, whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns, bound him with fetters, and carried him to Babylon. When he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly, before the god of his fathers and prayed unto him and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to jerusalem into his kingdom then manasseh knew that the lord he was god so notice how this worked with manasseh we'll find i believe works this way with all of us but here's manasseh he's in sin He's doing well in the flesh. He's not going to repent. Sees no need to. But God brings the enemy upon him. God brings him to a place of affliction so that he might repent of his iniquities. That's the way the law does for you and I. It brings us to a place that we're afflicted, that we're guilty, that we realize the sin and the transgression that be among us, not there to to beat us down without hope and condemn us without hope, but the laws there that sin might abound, such that grace might much more abound. In Isaiah 1, verse number 18, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. Now if I've got no sin, then this doesn't mean anything to me, does it? If I don't believe I'm a sinner, why would I need to come and reason with God and have my sins to be washed away? You know who's going to hear this and rejoice and come those that are sinners. Those are the ones that's going to hear this and be glad that God is willing to forgive and do away with sin. Now those that are right in their own eyes, this don't mean anything to them. They don't need that. See, the law entered that the offense might abound. And i tell you this, the greater a sinner that I see myself, the guiltier that I am in my own eyes, the more I need somebody to help me out from under that. The more I need a Savior. The more I need the gift of God. The gladder that I am when grace comes to redeem me. So the law entered for the purpose that sin that guilt, that the iniquity, the rebellion that's in man might abound, that the knowledge might come to all men. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Though the law made me to be supremely guilty before God, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ was able to overcome all of my sin that I could be brought into the family of the Lord. And there's there's what I was getting at. If you remember, the one sin causing all that you see, and the sin now so great that it's beyond our ability to even think about how much sin has been since Adam. But the Lord Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient not to just undo the one sin of Adam in the garden, but every sin from Adam till the end of time, the Lord Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to pay for and to do away with and to forgive all sin. So that no matter how dark the day gets, the day that we're living in, no matter how greatly evil our people are, You can rest assured in this. The grace of God is able to redeem and save everyone, no matter how sinful that they are. There is not one that's too bad for God to redeem. There's not one that's committed too much sin for God to redeem. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And there's, there's hope in that as well. That as you look at our world today, you look at these little ones that's coming up. Now outwardly speaking, and as these eyes look, there's not a lot of hope for them. As wickedness, as darkness, as sin, lies, and deceit abound in our country. As the truth is run out and lies are brought in, it's dark thinking about what our children are going to face in their lifetime. But I've got this word of God that where sin abounds, grace is able to overabound. Where deception abounds, the grace of God is able to work over and above the power of sin and iniquity so verse 21 that as sin hath reigned unto death even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Christ Jesus our Lord so as death reigned remember from Adam till today death reigned over man we have Methuselah 969 years and he died as has every man, as death has reigned over mankind, now in Jesus Christ, those that are born to this second man, Adam, life can reign. Right. Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. So grace reigning. Just as death, Satan, and sin reigned over the fallen race of Adam, those that are born again to the second man, Adam, they've got a new ruler. Grace is now the ruler over their life. Grace is now that that oversees. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, First Corinthians 6, verse number 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit The kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. So here's a great list. A list of people that living these lifestyles, you know they're not saved because of these lifestyles that they live. You know who's reigning over these people? Sin death is reigning not just death of in the grave but the spiritual death unto God, the inability to reason righteous judgment or to do the right thing. that's dead in trespasses and sins. We're unable to come out of that state. there's man. And such, this is still First Corinthians 6, verse 11, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So here's a church then that was in that state. Sin was abounding in their life, and yet the grace of God has now redeemed them And notice, not such are some of you. Such were some of you. You were in these lifestyles. Sin once did rule over you. But now the grace of God has appeared, sufficient to save you out of that sin, wash you and sanctify you, and give you a new life and a new ruler now. No longer is sin ruling over the Corinthian church, They've been redeemed, and the grace of God is ruling over their life. In Titus chapter 3, we see very similar wording here. Titus 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. So here again, here's man that was living under the influence and the power of Satan. But something's going to happen. It's grace. The grace of God's going to appear. The kindness and love. Now I want you to know that it's not earned and God's coming to hand a paycheck out to the people that's earned salvation. This is out of kindness, out of mercy, out of compassion of God. He's appeared to bring redemption. And to Titus, to the church that Titus is overseeing, those that are saved, they were servants to sin. But now, grace is ruling over them. The grace of God has appeared to them, redeemed them out of that state. They've been born again. And so, Titus chapter two, just up a little bit, verse 11, "The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, so that the grace of God that has now intervened in our life, it's not freedom to sin. Jude spoke about those people and Jude said that they would turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Licentiousness is what that word means. Unbridled lust, a license to sin. Now has not the grace of God in the minds of a multitude been turned into a pass for me to sin? Well, grace will cover it. God's grace. But this grace of God here, this is grace that redeems from sin and rules over the life of the believer. This grace is teaching those that are saved that they ought to seek the Lord, deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, and live soberly, righteously. Not grace to cover and excuse my sin, but grace to redeem me out of sin and rule over me, taking the place of the devil, the old master. And as he says in Second Corinthians 5, very familiar scripture, they that are in Christ are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new so that the work of God by the Spirit and the Gospel, has regenerated the believers and they no longer are servants to sin and Satan, but they've been made free by the gift of God through Jesus Christ and now grace is ruling over them. (laughs) So, that as sin hath reigned unto death, sin reigned and death was produced. Always. Sin reigned over man and man continually served sin. Well, them that are saved, they're no longer overruled by sin. Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. Now, you know those who, I tell you today, today in the eyes of the world, everybody's got eternal life. Everybody at the funeral home is going to glory to be with family, to be with friends, and to fish, and to vacation, and to lay at the beach, and it gets so outrageous. Outrageous thinking. Carnal, it's not in the book. Can you show me? In the book. No, they they can't show you that in the book. That's what man wants to believe. But according to the book, those that have eternal life... They are those that grace is ruling over them in this life. So, chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? Now, you think about what we've covered to this point in the book of Romans. That man's hopelessly in sin. God, by compassion... By mercy he appeared through Jesus Christ to bring redemption and salvation to man. That salvation is not of any work that man can do but it's in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that finished work of Jesus is sufficient to secure eternal justification for all those that come to God in him. It's not a losable salvation. There's not one place left for me to mess it up and lose it. But their salvation rests in Jesus Christ. Now, you know what man says? Immediately, man says, when you start teaching doctrine like that, you're giving man reason to go out and sin. I mean, you're justified. You can't lose your justification You can't lose your salvation. Why not go out and sin? Now to Adam's race, that sounds real good. But by the Word of God, that is not possible. My salvation is secure and if I quit today, for the rest of my life, I'd be saved when I died. (laughs) That's how secure that my salvation is. (coughs) But, because I'm that secure, shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? I mean, if the grace of God is sufficient to bring justification and eternal life unto all them that believe and put their trust in Jesus, then why not just trust Jesus and go out and live like there's no tomorrow? God forbid. Perish the thought. Now, he's going to ask another question. This is what man asks. God says this, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So this question, you want to ask the question, why don't we just continue in sin? Well, here's what God says. God says, how can somebody that has been freed from the devil and the bondage to the devil, they've been freed from the death of sin that's ruled over man for so long, and now they're no longer under the power of sin, but they've been regenerated and they're new creatures and grace is ruling over their life. How can they continue in a sinful lifestyle like they were before? You're telling me that God, the God that spoke the world into existence, the God that sent his Son that defeated sin, defeated death, and defeated the grave, that he is not able to then pluck sinners out of sin and change their life. See, this is where it's backwards. Man's not working to be saved. Absolutely not. My works have zero, absolutely zero to do with my justification. I am justified right with God. I am a saint of God all because of the work that the Lord Jesus did. That's what He has taught us from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 5. It's all wound up and tied up in the work of the Lord Jesus. But that don't set me free to go and sin and serve sin. Because those that are in Christ Jesus, those that are regenerated, those that grace is now reigning over, how can they go on and sin? Is it possible? (laughs) Is it possible? I, I want you individually to think about that and answer that for yourself. Is it possible, for one, that God has saved and regenerated and set free from the death of sin, made them a new creature in Jesus Christ, The grace of God dwells in and upon them. Is it possible for them to continue in sin? There's a lot of people they are not saved. Ain't that the truth? It's not possible. Well, you don't know my heart. You don't know what I really believe. I know this. I know it's not possible to continue in sin that grace may abound. I know that the regeneration and the power of God is able to produce a changed life and a new creature in them that believe the gospel and are born again. And they that continue as servants to sin, their master's still the devil. Grace ain't going to cover that at the end. If they're saved and secure, they'll be regenerated and grace will rule over them. So if you think now, and I realize it's been a long time since we've been there, but he talked about this just a little in Romans chapter 3 verse 8. Not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Now that's what this thinking is. That I'm saved in Jesus. You do evil and I'll continue to be saved. And I'll be saved at the very end. And you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. I, I heard those words at a funeral. You don't have to go to church to go to heaven. You're justified in Jesus. Now boy, that's a stretch, ain't it? Going to church has got nothing to do with my justification. But because I'm justified, regenerated, and born again, there is an inward desire to please God, to be with His people, to hear His Word. You see, that's produced from the work of God in the heart. That's not producing a work of God in the heart but because the work of god's been done there the life is changed and regenerated and different so i talked about jude and we looked in titus that this grace of god is there and by the book the grace produces a changed life so the god forbid how shall we that are dead to sin, live any longer therein. Now in that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where we talked about the new creature, he also says that the love of Christ constraineth us. That's that's a, a tightening or a pressure that's placed. It's like me wedging myself into a narrow place. I believe that's a good picture of them that are regenerated in the Lord Jesus, that the love of Christ constrains them. It keeps them from blowing out. Jeremiah, if he could have quit, he would have quit. And we all would have. At one time or another, we would have all quit. And yet the love of Christ constrains them that are His. So, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death? So, this baptism, the word is a, a complete immersion. That's what the word means. So many of us as were baptized into Jesus. So, those that are saved, he's using the picture here, of being immersed in Jesus Christ. That's how we're right with God because we've already determined we're not right with God by the law. We're not right with God by our works. But we can be right with God through the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and being immersed in Him. I'm covered with the Lord Jesus. So those that are baptized into Jesus, they were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life so the Lord Jesus and I'm going to run out of time quickly so we'll just we'll conclude right here the Lord died he was buried and he resurrected with a glorified body to never die any longer. Right. Those that are saved, this is, that's the picture that he's using, those that are saved are buried with him in death. The old man, the first man Adam, being laid in the grave dead, his rule, his authority... His power being laid dead, that like Christ rose up, Christ did rise up, the believers then that are baptized in Christ will raise up in newness of life. It's a result of the work of God. We'll read one more place, and I realize this scripture has been read so many times. For by grace are you saved through faith. "...that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained, before ordained, that we should walk in them." So here, He's raising up sinners out of sin, dying to the old man, resurrecting new men, and new women. And God, all through His work then, is regenerating their life, making them to be new creatures that they might produce works. Works of the Spirit and not of the letter. That's all that's on our heart. I feel like we've gommed around again, and I'm sorry.